So, um, for those listening, if you don't mind just introducing yourself, oh. you know, who you are, what you do, and then we can get into it. Okay. Um, I'm Divya Vicentini. I was born in India, uh, came to the U.S. through the U.K., um, been here a very long time. I am a bona fide <laughs> a learner for life, a digital mm-hmm. marketer, a technology, I wouldn't say maven because that would be a stretch, <laughs> but definitely somebody who's very keen and interested in how enthusiast. technology... Yeah, enthusiast would be a good word, yeah. yes. Keen in how technology um, impacts our lives today and how it will impact us in the future. But more importantly, how technology is driving how businesses conduct um, their day-to-day and how they mm-hmm. embrace uh, what we call customer experience. Because today, more than any time in, the, uh, in history, we realize that neither product nor price can really drive you in the, in the competitive landscape. It is how you serve your customers. That's ultimately going to determine whether or not you're going to be here in 5, 10, 15 years. Right. So I am the uh, co-founder and partner at Navstella. We are a consulting agency that helps B2B businesses in embracing customer-centric business models and driving growth and success in that way. That's amazing. So how did you get into this? Because and we were kind of talking before I started recording, you know, uh, being Indian and coming from that part of the world, there is a push to pursue certain things. Yes. And to be your own person and to be that outlier that we talked about, you know, it takes a lot of it takes someone that's bold and willing to, you know, face um, certain criticism, go against the grain in a way. So if we could talk about, you know, how you developed that mindset or how you got to that point. That's a good question. I don't know if I naturally developed it, but, you know, we are all in some ways molded by our circumstances. And mm-hmm. I would like to think that my early childhood definitely informed who I have come to become as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was in the Indian Air Force, and so we moved around a lot, and every two, three years. So from kindergarten to 12th grade, for example, I had gone through seven different schools. And it's not just different schools, it's different cities, and those of you who are familiar with India know that every state has a different language, a different mm-hmm. culture system. So I had to, not so much by desire, but by circumstance, have to reinvent myself every step of the way, and with every right. iteration... I got a chance to leave behind the version of me that I didn't necessarily want and grow into the person I truly wanted to become. That, plus having open-minded parents. I really was uh, lucky to have parents who understood that that was part of who I am. I'm not necessarily cut out to be um, to follow the, the traditional engineer mm-hmm. or medicine or a lawyer route, but that I had uh, a little bit more of a... Uh, of a rebel in me if you will and so that was definitely something that they they and sometimes I feel begrudgingly had to embrace Mm -hmm. but they have over time helped me grow into that but I think part of it part of that has enabled me to not ever fit into any one preconceived notion or a or a preconceived um uh, version of me I've been able to have lucky enough to be able to reinvent myself as time went by and I feel like it's super necessary especially um, you know, in the current times, because we have the we have the luxury to essentially learn about anything we want. Yeah. We can pursue any interest and turn any interest slash hobby into a business. And so, if you stick in a box or you, and there's nothing wrong with the traditional route as well, because some people prefer, you know, consistency. Yes. Maybe they prefer the life that they have and they want to live like that and die like that. But yes. other people just. 
they're, the way their DNA is wired, they can't do that. Right. So I can definitely, you know, see that and relate to that in a certain uh, manner to a certain extent. But it's fascinating to me that as I do this, I get to talk to more and more people that are like that. Mm. So I get to see the other side because the other side is often suppressed. Yes. You know, it's, yes. it's not glorified. It's not uh, highlighted as much as, you know, a doctor or a lawyer that's super successful. Right. So then you, how do you get to the point where you decide to start your own company? Oh, good question. Long journey. So one of the things I think having lived as long as I have, one has to learn what drives, you know, each individual, right? So I remember when I was in middle school and high school, I was always one of those kids that would raise her hand for anything. Um, but the first time our school held an extempore, um, they said, we want volunteers. So I was one of those fools that raised her hand, <laughs> got picked, and then my question came, what is an extempore? Because I didn't right. even know what that meant, right? <laughs> but I was that person. I was definitely somebody to go, ooh, I've never tried this. I wonder what this is. So mm. it may be a little bit of that FOMO mentality, the fear of missing out, because right. I want to try something new. So I think it's, it's part of who I am. So as, as I embrace that part of me, which is I want to try something new, I get bored with things that are the same old, same old. If there's no learning, there's no growth. And if I don't grow, who am I, right? Mm. And so that's been a constant in my personal and professional life. In my professional life, what I've always embraced, and I've been lucky enough to have guides and mentors that have encouraged that, is to raise my hand and go, "We, our company doesn't do this. We need a team that does this. Let me be the one to do this. Right. So I've always been a team starter, if you will. So even mm-hmm. at my first agency that I worked at, I started a user experience team, developed that into a market research and experience team, then grew that into a strategic marketing and planning team. Mm-hmm. So I've always been a team starter then. When Hearst, I went to work for Hearst for five years, they, they asked me to come join them to start a whole digital agency set up for them. Then I went to Accenture where I was asked to drive the go-to-market strategies mm-hmm. for Accenture, for oil and gas businesses. Through all of this, I realized that I really find joy in starting things and, right. and having things. Having had that experience of growing teams, I also knew that this was something that I wanted to do on my own. Mm-hmm. And so when the time was right and given that it was the right um, amount of experience and I guess in some level confidence too when you're trying right, to do something you know you've had a constant paycheck for years and now suddenly you say I'm going to go do something that will not involve something <laughs> coming in my bank every two weeks that is a risk to take and given 100%. that I, yes and you know it's in your middle years and you have a child that's a few years away from college so in some ways you might think what an irresponsible thing to do <laughs> but I also see uh, how happy I am in that decision and I see how much that sparked uh, a, a light bulb in my son's brain too in that he is definitely leaning into this and saying huh this is a version of my mother that I didn't know and right. it's I think it's also inspiring him to think beyond what he was thinking for himself in mm-hmm. middle school now that he's in high school especially with the environment absolutely yeah I so, can see that for right. sure so it's been an evolution it's not something that I woke up one day and said today I'm going to do this but I think every step I've taken has kind of brought me to that closer to that uh, goal if you will. So, so do you feel like this is essentially your calling? This is something, because you, 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 you know, you, you mentioned your core philosophy essentially is to not uh, conform to one thing. Yes. But do you feel like this is something you would conform to and stick with or uh, would this just be one of the things you end up doing? And so I'll tell you what, client service and leadership 
and change have been three things that have been constant in my career. Where, mm-hmm. you know, so leaning into clients, helping them, guide them, driving change through leadership, either through my own way of showing leadership, demonstrating leadership, or influencing leaders to make their businesses be better. Mm-hmm. And then innovation by way of embracing technology, um, that has always been my constant. So will that piece of that always be the same? I believe so, you know, in everything I do, because that is who I am in my right. professional setting. Now, Stella is something that me and my, my partner, Chad Alessi, just started a little over a year ago, and we are absolutely enjoying this journey. Um, just two days ago, we were driving to a client to kick off a new project, and we both had this smile on our face like we were kids in a candy store, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had guided this client to that point where we got them to understand our value, and here we are getting ready to kick off a significant project, and this project is going to be huge for them and for their future. And so it felt, yes, there's a great deal of responsibility, but the fact that we get to help guide them was such mm-hmm. a joy. So yes, absolutely enjoying this. And knowing that I have a business partner that has compliments me, right. so we have the confidence in each other's strengths, and so that definitely helps grow that as well. Have you, um, you know, early on, I don't know if you, if you were ever in a situation where, you know, starting a business early on, I'll, I guess I'll give you my example then yeah. for, uh, to clarify the context. I've had, um, I've tried to do a lot of things mm. like, while obviously being in school and stuff. Yes. You know, 13, I was making YouTube videos. So I've always been doing something or the other right. uh, besides the normal. Yes. Um, at 17, I started a clothing line. I was trying to copy Chubbies. I don't know if you know nice. that brand. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to copy them and undercut them essentially and yes. target high school students. Very good. Um, but I've always made one mistake. I've always included people that didn't have the best interest, Mm. that didn't share the vision, that weren't as motivated, and that also probably did a good job at convincing me that they were my friends. You know, and in a lot of situations, it's backfired. Mm. So how have you, I guess, how do you determine, you know, who aligns with your core values and who's someone that's genuine and you would want to be on your team? You know, that is such a good question, Arsh, because um, just last week I had lunch with a young lady. From time to time, I have some people that just contact me on LinkedIn and go, can I take you to lunch? I would like to pick your brain. And I enjoy mm-hmm. that. I love that because that is exactly how people like that are going to grow, right? Right. Even in your professional setting, a lot of times I feel people get mixed up between um, your true evangelist versus your mentor versus your sponsor. And I think there is a nuance and a difference between all of those people. Somebody who's in your court clapping You want them. You want them in your court clapping for you, saying you've done a great job, pat on your back, but they may not necessarily know what to do to help you or guide you. And a lot of times we misunderstand that encouragement to be, oh, you're encouraging me, so I should ask you for feedback. They may not be equipped to giving you that feedback, for one. Mm -hmm. Second, we always also look for mentors. We look for mentors in in our organizations. And I think more than anything else, when you're looking for somebody, you also want somebody who's your sponsor. Somebody who has experience, somebody who's done this before you, may not be the exact same thing, but has knows the pitfalls, has mm-hmm. experienced the, the shortcomings, has failed a few times. Right. You want to work with people who have failed. You really do, because they know what it takes to fail, so now they know what it takes to succeed. When you always focus only on your peer group, that is probably just as risk averse, if not more, than you yourself are. Having them guide your growth may not necessarily always end in the kind of result you want because at some 100%. point, you know, especially in a peer group, you will have people that go, I, I'm so happy for you, Ash, but I'm kind of 
not sure I want you to do better than me. You know, deep That's down, exactly what it there's is. a psychology. So finding mentors mm-hmm. is super important and finding guides and sponsors is super important too. A mentor is somebody that's going to truly help you in setting up goals, paths, and get you there. A sponsor is somebody who's going to be your advocate. So a mentor and a sponsor can be two different people mm-hmm. and know that they can be two different people. I've always sought sponsors within my organization, within my teams, but mentors can come from anywhere. So one of the things I'll tell you is try and find people that may not necessarily be in your mold, but have the mindset that you have, right? And having that mindset, and if they have a few years, or few, or or they could be the exact same age, even younger to you, mm-hmm. but if they have failed, they are your best ally. That's super well said, and that's so valuable, especially in you know, especially for people like me or my age, because we tend to gravitate towards friends mm-hmm. when we start something or when we have an idea. You know, we look to them for validation because that's the closest group we have. Right. No one really wants to go outside and, you know, reach out to people. Um, certain people do, and I've definitely become more uh, receptive to that or, I guess, more um, starting to do that more. But, um, you know, what you just said about finding a mentor and differentiating between a mentor and a sponsor and, a sponsor and someone that just you know, claps and gives you that yes. sort of push in a way or yes. gives you that validation, but doesn't necessarily have the knowledge. Yes. Right? I think that's valuable. Right. And I think we're all caught up in gender biases, generational biases, where we go, what will folks of my parents' generation know about what I'm trying to do? So there's that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that keeps us from asking for help or guidance. Or we go, I'm a girl, what would a man know about what I'm going through? I have, I have fallen into that trap myself, you know, and then you go, that's makes no sense because what I'm trying to do has nothing to do with being a woman or a man. It has everything to do with being a digital marketer, a professional, right? And so removing that cap is so important. Similarly, I, you know, we have, we have our own biases going, how can somebody younger, what would you, Ash, what can you teach me, right? <laughs> if I had that mental block going, what can mm. you teach me? You're such a young man. Shame on me for, on two, two fronts. One, um, shame on me because come on you know anybody and everybody can teach us something in every aspect of our life 100%. and two what a missed opportunity if I had that mental block that even if you're teaching me something that and you share with me something because of this barrier I've now stopped myself from that right and then you value it less and then it's it doesn't get received as well right. I just made an episode on this uh I made two episodes on yeah. a similar topic. One was the art of speaking less, mm. and that was kind of driven from, uh, I believe it was 48 Laws of Power, one of these books by Robert Greene. It was kind of like a Robert Greene segment. But um, but yeah, the art of speaking less in situations where some you know someone knows more than you, yes. speak less. And the second one was within the realm of not blocking information. A lot of times people close off information. Yeah. They're like, oh, I already know this. Yeah. And then, so the other person doesn't want to say anything. Mm. And that kind of ties into speaking less because when you speak less, the other person speaks more and then you get more information. True. Even if, even if you don't care about the information, you still get the information, yes. right? Yes. And then you can use it however you want it. Right. But if you close it off, you don't even get it. No. And that's such a... I think more people need to do that. Oh, 100%. And that was the lesson I learned in my work life too because, you know, having been on the agency and the consulting side, one of the first things you're taught is to go in there and tell your client how great you are. All the (laughs) examples of the work you've done before and all the other problems you've solved and look at all our awards, you know. That's fine. That's great. But over time, I've learned that 
although I'm not a physician, I, my first few touch points with my clients are definitely like that of a physician. And now over time, that's exactly how I think, which is I'm never coming in with a pitch deck of some kind. That mm-hmm. first meeting is going to be about you telling me, why are Just we in this room? Goes. Yes. Why are we in this room? Why, are we, why now? What's this conversation about? Why do we have to sit down and talk about something? What are your goals? What are your opportunities? What are your pain points? You're absolutely right. If we listen more, I think we would grow more, right? 100%, but it also, you have to find a balance because you can't just listen to everyone. So, mm. you know, in a lot of situations, if you become receptive enough or if you give someone the liberty to, <clears throat> excuse me, to just talk, mm-hmm. um, this is something I've dealt with recently and it also ties back to the peer group thing. Mm. Um, you know, I created a group of like-minded individuals. In that group, you know, you see that group turning into a friendship. Mm. So it started off as, you know, let's sit down, talk about stuff, you know, talk about the different industries we're in, you know, how can we help each other with our uh, ventures and, you know, see how we could collaborate. Essentially a mastermind group, which Napoleon Hill talks about all right. the time, right? right? Or put in his books. And, um, but you see that turning into a friendship. Yes. So then you have the barriers of friendship. You have yes. the elements of friendship. Yes. Where it's, you know, you view it as a hierarchy now. Right. And everyone's competing. And, you know, people, like you said, people want to be better than the other person. And I feel like it's kind of a tricky thing to not have blend in. Mm. And I'm curious to know how you've managed to, um, you know, curate that in your life where you don't mix that friendship, or even if you do, it's with someone that's genuine. It's a hard ask, Arshan. I've mm-hmm. made my own mistakes, I still do. But I think for the most part, knowing who you are fundamentally, and this is who I want to be, or this is what I want to achieve out of this particular venture. I think who we are does morph over time. You know, you get better, stronger, uh, more resilient over time. But the fundamentals of who you are doesn't change. So you know, you know enough now to know that when somebody's intention towards you is not necessarily um, how they started out, you know, mm-hmm. your, your relationship with them. And that in some ways, and I think, like it or not, human nature is we are somewhat singular, we are individualistic, of we are, you know. Ours is a meritocracy, which means the one that gets to stand up on that first podium, number one podium, gets the gold medal, is the one mm-hmm. that wins. Very rarely do we talk about the silver or the bronze medal. It's just as how we are culturally, right? Right. But I also know that in on the on the other side, in the on the where we play the gender equation, where we're seeing uh, this finally um, this this whole understanding that women share half the world and that we have a place in this in this world, whether it's from, from the kitchen to raising our children to being good life partners to being people in the in, in, in professions or the business world to becoming leaders, whether mm-hmm. it's in politics or society or in business, whatever it be, that we have a place. I'm starting to see that a lot, which is I feel the urge and the need that more that more so than ever before to because maybe because I'm now older I feel this responsibility to help mentor younger women and I feel less um, challenged when I do that, when I'm talking to a 20-some-year-old or a 30-some-year-old, I don't feel as challenged, but I'm human, so I have to tell you, when I talk to people in my age group, 
I automatically um, become a little bit more. Wait, she's doing better than me in this. Why am I not doing as well as her? Mm-hmm. Or how how is she doing that? You know. So I do have that, and so right. thankfully, thankfully, I I also have over time. You you can lie to the whole world, but you can't lie to yourself, right? <laughs> so I have to I have taught myself not to lie to myself and go time out, Divya. Why are you feeling insecure at this point? Mm-hmm. Why are you feeling this way? Why can't you just celebrate purely in her or his success? Exactly. Why do you feel the need to bring out that ruler and measure and go, "Oh, she's she's three points ahead of me," you know, mm-hmm. or four points ahead of me? Social media doesn't help. No, not at all, not at all. So I think in some ways it's a self being self-aware, but I also know that I have people that I have had to edit. One of the things I think, you know, in my 20s I I truly had developed this this huge network of friends and over the 30s my 30s I d- invested in going deeper into those relationship mm-hmm. relationships but now in my 40s believe it or not I have been editing more than any, ever <laughs> before because I've also started to realize that it's definitely quality over quantity so the people that 100%. are not necessarily in your court saboteurs or you know they don't have to necessarily sabotage but are not re- don't necessarily have you your best you can tell, you can tell. i think having the courage to say it's been a great run have good luck to you is on one end of the scale to the other end where you go i'm going to redefine how we have this relationship from here on we'll keep it as casual coffee conversations but i don't think talking any deeper than that is going to mm-hmm. be meaningful to this individual or to me Uh, and so knowing that is important and i think that's the only way i've managed because i fall into that trap on both sides as somebody who has to cheer for someone else and feels jealous mm-hmm. i'm human and being conscious and trying to get out of that it's a, it's a daily battle right we all right, have that but also on the other hand going you are not you don't have the best interest for me or at heart so i'm going to have to distance myself 